My name is Rick Bicedecki. Bicedecki is a lot like Smith, just a few more letters. As you can tell, if I were on a bicycle and had a recce, bicycle. Yeah, you guys are getting it. This is great. I see you guys are, you folks are well caffeinated this morning and, and we're going to have a good time. Um, I started recently uh, in, in this new position as the Associational Mission Strategist. That's just a really long title for the guy who gets to help churches. Um, and I do that with the Etowah, Roswell, and Lanier Associations. So all of that uh, under one umbrella basically saying there are 70 churches between 75 and 85 that get to work together to bring the good news of Jesus, the gospel, across the street and around the world. And I am so excited to get to work with uh, your pastor and staff and then with your church. And one of the things that we're doing to help churches is we partnered with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board to do this SPARK conference coming up. And so that SPARK conference is not just for you know, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, or whatever else, there are all kinds of things that everyone can take advantage of. There are breakout sessions of all kinds. And so that's coming up at the end of August. I would encourage you to be a part of that. I'm going to be teaching a class. This is this one of those shameless plugs. I'll be teaching a class on, on sharing the gospel. And so uh, encouraging people to do that. But but talk to your pastor, check out the website, sign up for that for the end of the month. But that's one of those things that we get to do together to encourage churches uh, to advance the gospel. You guys ready? Hopefully you have a Bible with you. You can open your Bible to Revelation chapter 4 in your electronic version. That's easy. If you have a paper Bible, go from the back. It's Maps, Concordance, Revelation. It's really simple to find. At the end, it's not revelations. That's one of those things that's just a tweak on me. I just, uh, yeah, it's one of those tweaks. It's the revelation, the apocalypsis, the pulling back of the curtain, the pulling back of the covering to see Jesus. So it's the revelation of Jesus to see him as he really is. And that's how John describes it at the beginning of the book. It's sort of like Psalms. It gets on my nerves a little bit. I'm just being free with you guys this morning. Psalms, it's not... Each one is a psalm. It's a separate one. It's a book of psalms with an S on the end. And so when someone says, turn to Psalms 23, I just, I, sorry, I can't help it. I just get that way. Um, my, uh, this month, July, July is a great month. Have you guys been celebrating in July? I always like, I always like July. I always like summertime. You got June, July, you got Father's Day, you know, because all the stuff in May, you had Mother's Day and graduations and Memorial Day. And, but Father's Day, you got Father's Day in June and then celebrating in July, you got July 4th. And then my anniversary was just a week or so ago, the 20th. I've been married 31 years. It's been eight of the best years of our lives. Um, some of you understand that. Uh, but my wife and I, man, we're, we're uh, uh, new grandparents. I have a one-year-old granddaughter I'll be getting to see here soon and excited about that. But folks, this summertime uh, and, and really through the year, we get to celebrate a lot of different things, right? We celebrate people. So they're on our calendar uh, days that we celebrate people, right? So on my anniversary, I was celebrating my wife and myself. Uh, birthdays. How many of you had birthdays in July? Anyone? Yes, there are a couple of you. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> so we celebrate people. We, we even celebrate presidents. It used to be that we would celebrate Washington's birthday and, and Lincoln's birthday, but now we bunch them all together. We have President's Day. So Martin Van Buren gets as much as George Washington. Um, what a great holiday there, right? 
So we celebrate pre- people. We also celebrate, we look uh, in positively and negatively on events. So December 7th, uh, 1941 is a date which will live in infamy, right? So we, we know that that's one of those bad days. Uh, September 11th, you remember where you were on September 11th? Uh, I remember where I was. Some of you weren't alive yet. Uh, some of you remember when Kennedy was shot. You remember that day. We look back on some of these days, these events and bad things, but we also look on events that have a, a good connotation. Yes, my anniversary, uh, a great memory with that kind of stuff. The, when my boys were born, right? Um, we celebrate uh, Veterans Day, we celebrate those uh, folks who have served in the military who are living with us. We celebrate Memorial Day, the bad part of that, those who died uh, for our freedoms. But what I want us to look at this morning is, is not one of those kind of things, one, one of those kind of dates. I want us to look in the book of the Revelation at a celebration that's going to go on forever and ever and ever. It's both the celebration of a person and a celebration of an event. Uh, if you know anything about the book of the Revelation, it is this crazy story that, that uh, a crazy communication from the disciple John, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that John was uh, a close disciple of Jesus. And closer to the end of his life, after uh, all the, the Christians got kicked out of Jerusalem, they left Jerusalem, a lot of Christians moved to Ephesus which we have the book of Ephesians, right? So John the disciple and Mary the mother of Jesus, church history tells us, moved to Ephesus. John ended up discipling a whole bunch of people in that church in Ephesus, and he was even put in jail for preaching the gospel, and he was put on an island out in the Mediterranean. And while he was there, he uh, was, it says that he was chilling out on the Lord's day, and he had this great vision, and he wrote down this stuff for us. We see in the book of the Revelation that in chapter 1, he describes Jesus talking to him. In chapter 2, he he talks about Jesus' messages to the seven churches. And the seven churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, um, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, uh, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Right. So he talks to those seven churches of Asia Minor past chapter 4 and 5 for the rest of the book, he goes on and and starts talking about uh, the future events, the things that are to come. So they open the scrolls, they hear the trumpets, they see the bowls poured out of, of judgment. You get to the end of the book of Revelation when you see the great beast coming on the scene and the judgment day when Jesus comes. There's a thousand year reign that he talks about we could get into a theological discussion on, but enough to say at the end of the book, Jesus comes and takes over. And we see John says he saw a new heaven, a new earth coming out of, you know, the heavens. And what a celebration to get to chapter 22. It says, blessed are those who read this book and curses of this book are on you if you you don't do what it says, right? So this book of the Revelation, what a powerful thing. John the disciple is given it the best he knows how. And the way I take it, he describes it and, and things, I try to take them as literal as possible unless there is a meaning to take it symbolically, right? And so John, as a first century person, is trying to describe these incredible events, incredible people, this, all this stuff that's going on best he knew how as a first century person. So we get through Jesus talking to and giving his message to the seven churches of Asia Minor or Turkey, right? And it's almost like there's a pause, a parenthesis, a, a deep breath, 
almost to take a drink, right? Hmm. There's a pause in this intensity of the book of the Revelation that we get through Jesus' message to the churches, and then John, the second vision that he has in this book, he said, he hears the angel says, come up here, right? I want to tell you a few things. And chapter 4 and 5 is this breathtaking description of what is taking place in the heavenlies, in the throne room of heaven, before all the judgment comes out on the earth. And if you've taken time to read through this stuff, it's pretty intense. My wife and I, during COVID, we read all the minor prophets and major prophets in the book of Revelation, you know, Jeremiah, you know, all the positive books. We read all those during, um, and we read through this, and, and what a powerful picture John is trying to communicate. So I want to do the long version here, okay? I want to read chapter 4 and us discuss that, and then read chapter 5. You guys with me? All right? You good? All right, here we go. Put on your, you know, not your thinking caps, but put on this, this idea and take in the picture of this as we read this together. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. And this is Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and a carnelian stone. A rainbow had an appearance of emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, and there were the, these are the seven spirits of God. And something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was before the throne." Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty who was and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated at the throne and worship the one who lives forever, and they cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. Are you blown away by the picture that's taking place here? Get in this, this. This is bigger than a Marvel movie, okay? This is bigger than some Star Wars event. This is bigger than you standing in front of the Atlantic or the Pacific, looking over the edge of the Grand Canyon, or looking at the stars in space, even with the new telescope they have. The brilliant picture of what's taking place. John is there in some kind of vision or presence. You know, it's, it's hard to distinguish. And he's seeing these things that are too incredible to describe. Have you ever been overwhelmed like that? Man, I, I can remember standing as a kid for the first time looking at the Pacific Ocean and thinking it goes on for miles and miles and miles. And it, it, it almost took my breath away. It's so powerful. Or standing there, you know... Uh, <coughs> 
in the, in the forest with the redwood trees. And seeing these trees that are so big, I can't get my arms around. Me and my wife and my, my son and his wife, we stood inside and took a picture. It was so big and so immense. And, and you look up and as far as you can see, all you see is trees. It, it, it took my breath away. But even more powerful than one of these great events, which God builds into us a sense of awe and wonder, John is standing in the heavenlies, in in heaven. It's the pause, it's what the, the deep breath before all the crazy stuff happens in the rest of the book of the Revelation. This is a future event, it seems. It seems like this has not taken place yet, but we look forward to it. And here's the description. John is there. It's, uh, it says the voice uh, that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. That, that voice from the beginning of chapter 1 is Jesus. Jesus is calling him up. And he sees the one seated on the throne. Imagine the lightning, feeling the thunder, seeing one sitting on the throne. And you can't really see his face, but it's breathtaking. It says here that it has the appearance of a jasper and a carnelian stone. It's sort of like a, the, the brilliance of a diamond all around it. You know, it, it's, it's overwhelming to the senses how beautiful and majestic this is. It says a rainbow had, a, had the appearance of an emerald that surrounded the throne. So there's this brilliant diamond light in the center. It's almost overwhelming that you have to put your hand over it. And then the, the incredible green, uh, like a rainbow, a circular rainbow all around it. And, and it is breathtaking. And he sees the one on the throne, God the Father himself, the creator of the universe. Then he sees these 24 thrones. There's all kinds of conjecture um, by theologians and scholars who these 24 elders and these 24 people are. We don't know. It could be the, you know, the, the 12 sons of, of Jacob. Uh, it could be you know, 12 saints from the Old Testament, 12 saints from the New Testament. It could be followers of, of God throughout the ages. It doesn't really say. But what we do know is, one, they're given a seat of honor. Two, they've been given clothing of redemption. They, they're clothed in white. And they have these crowns. And, and in, the, um, in, in the New Testament, we see two major words used for crowns. The one word, diadem, is a crown of royalty. The second one is a crown of Stephanos, the name Stephanie or Stephen. That is the word for victory, right? And this was a Stephanos. It was a victor's crown that, that was on their heads, which gives the picture that we see from the New Testament when Paul talks about how we will receive crowns of glory that we will give back to, to God, the crown of life, uh, the crown of looking forward to the return of Jesus. So it seems like these 24 elders, whatever their origin, they are recognized by God the Father from all of time as special people who followed him. It doesn't say what they did, but it does say they've received a victor's crown. Then you got these crazy animals, right? Um, we see the same kind of picture in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah um, said, man, all this crazy stuff was going on in our world and I was in the temple and I saw you know, God high and lifted up and his robe filled the temple and there were these creatures with six wings. With two they covered their faces and two they covered their feet and with two they flew. And what did they say? These angels, these beings of fire, seraph uh, is the, the word for that. And, and in Isaiah 6, these creatures sing before the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So I'm thinking here, these creatures are some kind of angelic beings, but the description is sort of crazy. I, I, I don't get it. But it's enough to say that these four majestic creatures are worshiping God. They're covering 
and they're flying and they're singing praises. And what are they singing? It seems right here in the text, it says, they sang this song, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you have created all things and by your will they exist and created. Why is all of, crea- why is all of creation and all of heaven singing to the Father, the one on the throne? Because he created it all. This is almost what some scholars say. This is a hymn of creation or a hymn to the creator. You remember going all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1.1? It says, in the beginning, God created. It, it, he created in the, in the Hebrew, it's a tohu vabohu. He created out of nothing. He spoke, and it was. And Colossians says that both the Father and the Son were there in in, uh, creation. But God holds it together by the power of his word. Some kind of quantum power, some type of of thing where God himself creates matter out of his own energy. And he calls it into existence. We don't have that power. I don't have the power to say, barbecue, right? I wish I did. Or Krispy Kreme in the name of Jesus. I don't have that kind of power. And, and, it's, and it's not what some people say. We have this word of the rhema uh, of, uh, uh, as our power of Christ followers to create our own reality. The only reality we have is created by God who started at the beginning. When he created male and female. When he had those six days of creation. And in the first three days, he formed the things. In the last three days, he filled the things. And after it was all finished, after he created man, he said, mm, That is good. Wow, the creator of the universe. I I, I sort of feel responsible to him. Don't you? It all belongs to him. We're just passing through. Someone someone asked my wife and I recently, we we built a house right before COVID or right during COVID, which was highly intelligent. Um, and, And we moved into this new house when we moved back here to Georgia, the land of sweet tea. And uh, these people asked us, they said, hey, is this your forever home? <laughs> I've lived so many places and just being married in the last 31 years, forever home. It's like, man, my only forever home is on the other side with God, right? Uh, I'm just a steward of everything. I'm just a temporary borrower of whatever I have here. I'm only going to have this 20, 30, 40, whatever years, and then I have to give it to somebody else. I don't, I don't think this is my forever home. This is not my permanent possession. But the God of the universe holds it all in his hands. And we, his created beings, we need to give him honor and glory. I mean, think about it. What a powerful thing. The God spoke it into existence. He spoke and it was. Takes my breath away. How, how could he do all that? I, I don't know. <clears throat> but he owns it all. He is the one who created it, and I give him honor and glory. I'm just a passing through. So get the picture here. John is saying, I'm standing in heaven. I see these mighty and glorious things, and these majestic creatures are falling down to the one on the throne and giving him honor and glory and singing a hymn of creation. What a starting point. You ready? Whew, chapter 5. I almost need a breath. Chapter 5. If what has taken place is not enough, John begins in verse 1. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one who's seated on the throne, God the Father, 
a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. What we know and understand from, from history is that the Romans would do title deeds or they would do um, uh, you know, title deeds of ownership or, or judgments uh, from a, a courtroom and that kind of stuff. They would, they would put it on a scroll and they would write it all on one side. They'd scroll it up a little bit and put a wax seal on it and then they'd roll it up a little bit more. And so they'd seal it however many times they needed to. And on the outside of the scroll, they would put a summary statement right? This is what's inside this scroll. So it's almost as if this scroll is the title deed for the universe and it contains within it judgments, which we will see. Somehow all the ones who are in this picture in heaven understand what this is. There's no really long description about it, but we, we can tell that this document, this scroll had power. It was, it was a big deal, right? So he says, I saw a scroll writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. And I wept and wept because there was no one worthy to open the scroll or even look in it. We don't have the description here. But something that we're missing that I think is powerful, that even John, the disciple, sort of had an understanding that this carries weight beyond just this picture of a scroll. This is God holding the title for the universe. And the understanding there in heaven is no one is worthy to open the scroll. All of creation could be lost because the title deed for the universe has no heir. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, and he's able to open the scroll and open its seven seals. There's hope. The lion of the tribe of Judah. I always, I always uh, think of Aslan the lion, of reading uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think, oh, he is, he is terrible, but he is good. A friend of mine in Kenya uh, would say that, that one of the worst and most terrible sounds that you would hear out in the bush is the sound of the roar of a lion because you knew and understood that that creature is coming to eat something and you're hoping it's not you. Amen? The, the lion is terrible and powerful. And the elder says, hey, don't worry, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the symbolic understanding is this is the one that goes all the way back to King David. This is the one who's been prophesied. And twice or two or three times in the book of the Revelation, we see the word or the phrase, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But something interesting takes place here. John says this. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the... Hold on. I thought he said it was the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, but from here on out in 29 times in the book of the Revelation, Jesus himself is referred to as the lamb, or it, it, it's the word um, for a diminutive little lamb, a lamb who, uh, that is usually used for slaughter, one that would be go, going to sacrifice. And it's interesting how that is the term. It's not that Jesus, you know, Jesus coming in his, his first coming was the suffering servant. And when he comes a second time, he's the conquering king. And we have this understanding that when he comes as the conquering king, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But what we miss in this is that the lion is the lamb. What gives the lamb significance? Why is he worthy in this story? Why is he the one worthy to open the scroll? And why is he described like this? If he is looked at as one, a slaughtered lamb, think of this. 
the marks of the crucifixion are still visible for all of eternity. That we will see where, where the spikes went through his wrists. We will see where he was nailed in his feet and held up between heaven and earth. We'll see the marks on his side where blood and water flowed when they, they speared him in his side to see if he was still alive. We'll see the marks on his back that it talks about in Isaiah that is, we are bruised. Uh, he was bruised for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. We will see the marks of the crucifixion forever and ever and ever. Folks, we celebrate people and we celebrate events or holidays, right? But for forever, we will not celebrate the birth of Jesus. We won't celebrate Christmas. I don't think there'll be any Christmas trees up in heaven. We won't even celebrate Easter. Easter, it seems, is, is a, an understood. It's almost an afterthought at this because it's, it's assumed that he's resurrected, he's alive. What we, will we celebrate for all of eternity? We will celebrate the person of Jesus and the event of the crucifixion. Because watch what it says. It, I'll continue. It says, I saw the one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the, among the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. He had authority and power to do this. Verse 8, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. They recognized that he had power and authority. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? I circled this in my Bible. Because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Why was Jesus worthy? Was it because he was the son of God? Well, that's, that's part of it. You know, Jesus is fully God and fully man, wrapped up in, in, in humanity, right? But it wasn't just his mere existence that gave him power and authority in this situation. It was he gave himself willingly to be slaughtered as a sacrifice for you and for me. Think of this. The blood of Jesus forgives us from sin because it is the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God. It's by his blood. It's that 25 cent word in 1 John, that propitiation. It's the satisfaction of God's wrath. Why is Jesus worthy? Why is he the one who, who has uh, authority and power to take the title deed of the universe? Because he died in your place and mine. He gave his life for us to redeem, to buy back all of creation in redemption, this redemption, this, this coming back of reconciliation to God the Father. You see, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, going all the way back to the beginning, Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, the mom and dad of all of humanity, and they gave the title deed to the universe away. And God, even in that situation, pointing forward to what Jesus would do, he said, Eve, your descendant, will bruise the heel <coughs> or smash the head of the serpent and he will bruise his heel. It was the pointing forward, the first telling of the gospel story that God would send someone to pay the debt. I am oh so glad that Jesus paid for my sin. It's an interesting thing in the combination of this also. 
I've heard people for years say, hey, we are all God's children. And what a nice little sentiment, you know, hey, we're all God's children. No, according to the scriptures, we are all God's creation, but only those who put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus are his children. Because it says in John John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, um, to those who believe, uh, he gave the right or the exousia, the authority to become the children of God. So we are only in his family when we are adopted in, when we put our faith and trust and hope in the one who gave his life for us. All of us are God's creation, but those who've given their life to Jesus and put their faith and trust in him alone for salvation are his children. And what does it say about those? It says this. He says, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased, redeemed, bought back for God. By your blood, people from every tribe and nation and tongue. Verse 10, and you made them kingdom and priests to our God. We are his children if we put our faith and trust in him. And these creatures who have power and authority, they are the ones who are saying, Jesus, you are worthy. In chapter 4, we see all of creation and the, the elders and all these folks sing a hymn of creation a hymn to the creator. But in chapter 5, we see them sing a new song, a hymn to the redeemer. This is a hymn of redemption. (coughs) I don't know about you, but I hear this. What a powerful picture. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, also the living creatures and of the elders, and their number was countless thousands plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. I can't help but think if being in the presence of Almighty God, I would fall down and worship, wouldn't you? The awe and the power and the majesty. When Peter understood that it was Jesus standing on the shore, when they were fishing, it was after the resurrection, and they caught all those fish, Peter jumps out of the boat, he goes up to the shore, he falls down before Jesus, and he says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. When Isaiah sees God on his throne high and lifted up in Isaiah 6, He says he sees God in his splendor and his wonder and his glory. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Wouldn't wouldn't you be shaken if you've seen the risen Jesus? I heard a pastor years ago. He was almost flipping about it. It's like, like folks who say, well, I'll just talk to the man upstairs. He's not a man upstairs. He is the God, the creator of the universe. This pastor was talking. He said, yeah, I commune. I talk with Jesus every day. I stand there while I'm shaving in the morning, look in the mirror, and Jesus comes in, and we have a conversation. And my question is, if it's the real Jesus, do you keep shaving? Because if it's the real Jesus, I'd be falling down on my face, saying, you are worthy. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for shedding your blood and taking my place and paying my debt. It's not just that Jesus gives the opportunity for all of creation. Jesus did it for me. I am so grateful. I come to this picture and see God on his throne and the lamb. And I am moved and shaken. This is my why statement. 
Why do I come to church on Sunday morning? Why do I share Jesus with people? Why do I go out of my way to use my time and my resources and stuff to be willing to do something for others? It's because of this. Here is my why before my what. Here is, here is the starting point for everything else I do. And if I claim to be a Jesus follower and I'm flipping about the man upstairs and don't even give time to self-sacrifice and serve others and love people and point them to Jesus, I don't get this. The evaluation in my own life, I have to be reminded of the gospel regularly because what Jesus did for me shouldn't just be an app on the side. It shouldn't just be a hobby I have. It should be all-encompassing that everything I do is for him because he loved me. If I were the only one, he would have shed his blood for me. From God's perspective to us, God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, puts their faith and trust in him alone for salvation, has eternal life. It says God's will is that none perish but all have repentance. (coughs) It's his will that people come and are reconciled to the creator through the redeemer. Where are you? Have you come to a place that in your spiritual journey that you have a relationship with Jesus? Or is that something you're still trying to figure out? Let me tell you plainly, I've been following Jesus for well over 30 years. He is always faithful. And I love him and I trust him and I'll give my life for him. He's faithful. If you're sitting in here this morning and you've been a believer for a long time, where are you? Have you gotten used to being a Jesus follower? Is this just something that you do? Or do you have an intentionality every day to get up and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to serve you. Give me something to do today, God. So whether you're a school teacher or a business person or, or a retired or a student, whatever your status in life, are you intention, <coughs> intentional every day to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do today. I'll share the good news with my neighbor. I'll be kind to that person who has a need. Where are you? Because if you truly understand and truly see the risen Jesus, you can't go back. It's like seeing a a major car accident out here on the corner and 50 cars get in a, a big accident. And you're standing on the street corner and you see it. I was almost hit by that car. Did you see that pile? Did you see all those those people hurt and injured and and the carnage? Did did you see all that? You'll be forever changed, won't you? If you've been in some major car accident or had some major event in your life, it, it affects you. If you've truly seen Jesus for who he is and know that he loved you enough to give his life to pay for your sin, to pay for your junk, to pay for your willful mistakes and willful things. That if you are willing to put your faith and trust and hope and lean into him, the creator of the universe and the one who paid for your sin, if you're willing to do that, Jesus comes into your life and he gives you hope and reason and purpose and forgiveness and a future. And we ought to be grateful people forever changed by this event of history. So, so here's my words to us this morning. Where are you 
with Jesus? Have you come to a place you have a relationship with him? Or is that still something you're looking for? I can say to anybody watching online or anybody in the room today that Jesus is calling you. If you believe that Jesus is real, that he died on a cross and paid for your sin, debt, your junk, and you believe that he raised from the dead, that's sort of crazy, but it's a real thing. And if you put your belief, trust, hope in Jesus alone, Jesus himself and the God of the universe will come and forgive you of your sin. He'll give you a destiny and a hope. He'll pay for your past and give you a future. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've already done that, where are you willing to be intentional to live out the gospel because of this? Do your, have your grandchildren seen your tears for their salvation? Have your neighbors seen your kindness? Has a stranger heard your words? Are you looking as a missionary? Because if you are a Christ follower, Christ followers are cross bearers and cross bearers are missionaries. Are you intentional in your daily stuff to look for people who do not know Jesus so they don't have to go to hell? Are you doing that? Every time I come to this passage, it shakes me to my core and reminds me of why I do what I do. I do this because he loved me first, he loved me best, he loved me most, and he is the one worthy to the title deed of the universe. And these elders took off their crowns and gave worship to the king. I ought to do the same. As my brother comes to the keyboard, I want to close out with this. Where are you with Jesus today? Have you put your faith and trust in him? If not, you can do that today. You can very simply say, God, I don't totally understand all this. I don't even know how it all works. But I'm willing to put my trust in you because you lived and died and rose again. and, and And I trust you to forgive me of my sin. If you're willing to do that, the God of the universe will send his spirit to live inside of you. It's sort of crazy how all that works. But he is powerful and he's worthy and he's full of grace. I'll be standing down here at the front. These steps are set aside this morning just for a time of reflection and and maybe a time for you to make a decision, do on the outside what God is doing in your heart. Maybe you're a believer sitting in this room today. And you have been shaken by the reality of what's coming. And maybe, maybe you've been lulled into complacency. God has not called us to be complacent. God has called us to be intentional and active because the days are few. And we have a task to reach men and women, boys and girls, and keep them out of hell. To show them grace and love and the mercy of God. You and I are ministers of reconciliation on God's behalf, begging people to be reconciled to God. Do you have a son, a grandson, a daughter, granddaughter who doesn't know Jesus? Maybe you need to come during this time and pray for them. Do you have a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, someone you go to school with? Do you have someone who doesn't know Jesus? Maybe God (coughs) has put you in their lives bring them the message of hope maybe God's calling you to do that maybe you need to come and pray for them this morning I don't know what God's doing in your life today 
but you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. I see it on your faces. God is calling you to do on the outside what he's stirring on the inside. So if you this morning need to accept Jesus for the first time, I'll be right down here. I'll show you what the Bible says about how to follow Jesus. Maybe you need to come and pray for a neighbor, a grandson, a coworker, or someone. Maybe you need to come and take a knee. Maybe you and your spouse say, you know what? We haven't done all we needed to do for Jesus, but maybe today can be the starting point of something new. I don't know where you are today, but don't let this time pass. Let the stirring of the Holy Spirit remind you that God loves you, has a plan for you, and wants to use you to be a blessing, eternal blessing to other people. Would you pray with me, please? Bow your heads, close your eyes. God, this morning, we see a picture of the risen Jesus high and exalted. We see this hymn of the Redeemer. He is the one who's worthy because he died in our place. God, thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. <coughs> God, I pray this morning that you don't let me just walk by what Jesus did, but help me to embrace it. Help me to follow you with all my heart. Help me to be intentional to live out the gospel with others in kindness and grace, pointing people to you. Help me to do that, God. And Father, if there's anyone in here this morning or watching online who does not know you, I pray that today, Lord, they will put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus alone to forgive them and set them free. I pray that, God. And Lord, I pray that you use this church for your honor and your glory, that this area will be impacted by the good news. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody look right up here. My brother's going to sing and lead us. If you feel the Holy Spirit moving you to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, come talk to me. If you need to come pray for yourself or someone else, come do that. This time is open, a time of reflection for us and a time of response. So let's all stand. And if you need to step out and come, you do that right now.